Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you, it's story time. We are at chapter 23 of A White Stone. We've been uh, working our way through. Man, what a powerful chapter we had last week as we found uh, Tom and Train and Tom's family in the church um, in in quite a quite a wild night of service. Um, as in power of God fell, so many things took place in that. If you missed that one, you need to go back and listen to last week uh, to chapter 22 because it was uh, quite thick, quite powerful. We're going to pick up at chapter 23, and as always, we're going to start from our Father's heart. It is the close of a season. I am marshalling my forces. I'm preparing hearts to be part of the great army of the body of Christ. Do you see how bold the enemy has become? Do you see how he has attempted to disfigure the children that are called by my name? A turning point is at hand. A new awakening is in this land, and it must start with you. Take hold of what you are in me. Begin to realize that all my promises are for you. Understand, though, they are not for self and flesh, or your worldly needs. I do desire that you have life more abundantly. Yes, use that life to rise above. Look to the provisions I have given you to be used for a greater need. As I gather my army, your part will become increasingly clear. Drop all your preconceived notions as to what you felt were the uses for my provisions and submit to me with an open mind. I have prepared you for a specific purpose. The time is now. You can be the one. Do not limit me, for I have chosen you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 through 39 says, And he who does not take up his cross and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conforming wholly to my example, in living and, if need be, in dying also, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his lower life will lose it the higher life and who and whoever loses his lower life on my account will find it the higher life Matthew chapter 19 verse 29 says and anyone and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive many even a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life and so the preparation of the bride for the return of her groom, Jesus, began in earnest all over the world. The heavenly host, charged with the anticipation of something wonderful about to take place, moved to carry out their now increasing activity with a wonder of it all. The heavens resounded with a symphony of endeavors that would crescendo with all the host bursting forth in praise as the Lord would soon appear for his own. A momentary brightness, a window of grace, A season of harvest would be released upon the earth before the coming purging, which will precede the coming of the Lord for his people. The earth, in response to the Lord's command, groaned and strained as if in childbirth, as a warning to those who had eyes to see or ears to hear. Natural disasters such as unparalleled storms, earthquakes, and flooding would leave many helpless with hope or without hope. Man-made disasters such as fires, riots, rampant terrorism, and unbridled crime made citizens demand something be done for the safety of the majority. Although all was, in his mercy, a fulfillment of God's promises, 
to reveal to mankind its helplessness without him and to allow those who would hear the opportunity to repent. Many would scoff at the thought of that, that he had a hand in it all. More police, more organization, more law, more money would become the cry. Instead of turning to God, most would turn their backs on him all the more with ever-hardening hearts. Those who would respond to the call of holiness and to full submission would walk in intimate fellowship with their Savior. If they chose to move selflessly and reverently with crucifixion power, they would see the wonder of God in their daily activities. An irresistible wooing, except for the most hardening heart, would become, a vis- would become visible to the church first and then to the ripe fields ready to produce their crop in abundance. Surrounded by rejoicing, heavenly host, accompanied by train, the Bracken family drove in silence deep into the inner city despite the warnings over the radio of continual bomb threats. No amount of coaxing, coaxing affected Train's decision to go home. It was late Monday evening by the time Train was delivered to his door. The events and intensity of the last days had taken their toll, and the exhausted family hugged one of their own in loving farewell before returning to their home. Both Sally and Tom rode in silence almost the entire drive to Elmfield. Words were not needed to convey what the knowing smiles and loving glances they had for each other said so completely. Sally blushed, a little embarrassed at her thoughts of wishing that the BMW didn't have a bucket seat so she could slide over next to Tom as she had done so many years ago. As they turned into the driveway, the headlights scanned the beautiful yard and swept across the front of their home in what seemed like slow motion almost as if to point out each beautiful detail of the imposing structure. Are we home? Tommy questioned, groggily, rubbing his eyes. Both he and Becky had fallen asleep almost immediately after embarking on their return trip. Yes, dear, Sally said quietly as the garage door rose in response to the button being pushed on the visor mechanism. Wake your sister, it's time for bed. I'll just carry her upstairs, Tom whispered, opening the back door of the car and picking Becky up gently, taking her to her room. Becky never stirred, and Tommy was fast asleep even before the bedroom light was out. "'What are you thinking, darling?' Sally said as she began to dress for bed. "'I don't know, really, how to answer that,' Tom said as he sat on the side of the bed, absent-mindedly toying with the cuff of his shirt and looking at the carpet. "'So much has been happening. I've got so many thoughts, so many feelings, and at the same time, I—' He paused. At the same time, I don't feel the same about so many other things. It's as if I begin to live, really feel alive in some areas and very much dead in others. Does that make any sense? Sally sat sat down next to Tom and reached for his hand. I know exactly what you mean, honey. When we turned into their driveway a few minutes ago and the headlights flashed on the house, I felt as if I were saying goodbye to something. I don't know how to explain it, but... After being with Jesus and hearing what he had had to say, she looked around the room. This could be used for God's work and help so many hurting people. Tom and Sally lay next to each other in the silence, reflecting on the thoughts and feelings and the events of recent days before drifting off into a peaceful sleep. Would you call Tom Bracken in here for me, Miss Jones? Carlisle Henderson said, speaking into the intercom. Yes, Mr. Henderson, the voice responded as it had done countless times before. In fact, Miss Jones continued, Tom just moments ago asked if he might have a moment of your time. He, he said he would like to see you. 
The click of the intercom assured Carlisle that his request would be fulfilled as expeditiously as possible. Miss Jones had been a faithful employee for many years. She had, in fact, dedicated her life's work to organizing, directing, and protecting him from the endless details that surrounded his business life. She was a well-oiled hub of the Henderson architectural firm, and through her talent, dedication, and tenacity, it ran very smoothly. From this, his 10th floor window, Carl had a wonderful view. When he and Tom had designed the building, they made sure that he could see in every direction. The unique floor plan of his office and the panoramic placement of windows had accomplished all that he had desired for a very favorable work environment. He felt safe, high above the den of the city below. One of his favorite features was the small raised area to the left of his balcony patio door that he had glazed that had a glazed ceiling. This area provided hours of relaxation on the many nights that he would stay late to work on special projects. Many projects took a lot of development, and during their gestation period in his mind he would look at the stars through his brass telescope, a treasured gift from his deceased wife, wondering what they were all about and where they really came from. I know now, he said to himself as he looked to the skyline to his left, while remembering those times. As Carlisle looked through the window, he reflected the light allowed him to see Tom in the mirror before he entered the office. Come in, Tom, he said, turning and moving to greet his new friend. A friendship bond, the likes of which Carlisle Henderson had never known before, had been placed in his heart by the body of Christ, and especially for the man before him. He had been given new eyes now and a new heart, that replaced his uncaring, hardened heart. Come in, my friend, he said, as they grasped hands warmly. I understand we both want to see each other this morning. Tom began with a smile as Carlisle motioned him to sit in a soft chair in the corner, in the corner grouping. Immediately, both men felt the bond that Christ had placed between them. They talked, not as employer and employee, but as two brothers that had been separated for a long time and needed to catch up on much. The formality of Mr. Henderson or Carlisle that was part of the office policy and part of the authority that was needed before was dropped as heart conversations ensued. Time passed quickly as Carl had many questions about his brand new faith. In fact, the majority of the conversation focused on Carl's needs and Tom sensed they were more important than the reasons that he had wanting to see his new boss. Carl spoke freely and candidly about his innermost feelings and his newfound life and all that pertained to him with a youthful enthusiasm. Suddenly, however, the joy in his face faded, and he became very serious, almost solemn. Somewhat uneasily, he got up and walked to the wet bar in the recessed cove in the south wall of his office. As he toyed with the emptying mixing container, he began to speak again, keeping his back to his new friend. Tom, he began, as you know, I'm a voracious reader. He turned to face Tom directly and leaned against the bar. Since I met the Lord, I have read everything I could get my hands on. The Bible is my priority, of course, but books on prophecy and how this is all going to end have been my con constant diet. Tom, I don't even do work anymore, Carl said in a mid-stride as he came back to his sit directly across from Tom, who was beginning to feel that he was about to be told something very important. Don't get me wrong, I'm delighted about it. I've never been happier. I've finally found the peace I've been looking for all my life. Jesus not only saved me, but he gave me answers to all the questions that have haunted me most of my adult life. Again, Carl got up and walked toward the window and stood silently for a few heartbeats with his hands in his pockets. 
looking at the scenes with which he had become so familiar. Then, without moving, Carl began very slowly. Tom, you know very little about me. I know we've worked on many projects and designs together, and he paused briefly. And before Clara died, you and Sally were two of the people we felt comfortable enough to spend even a small amount of time with. But you know nothing of who I really am. Tom watched as Carl stood motionless, just staring through the window. Then slowly he turned to Tom and said, I'm going to show you something only two other people in the world know exists. He hesitated, choosing his words carefully. He began slowly. It was evident to Tom that he was about to be shared was hard for Carl because of the way each sentence was thoughtfully composed. Remember when I sent you and Sally to Europe for a month, just after we built this building, he began. And when you came back, I had redone my office to make more space for this private spa. Well, there were reasons you never saw the plans. You see, I needed to make sure this wasn't known by anyone. With that, Carl moved to the wet bar and the, at the entrance to the spa. Reaching down, he pressed a button that was concealed under the toe space at the very bottom of one of the corner cabinets. The panel to the right of the mirror that hung on the wall moved left to expose a hidden doorway to a room about the size of a large walk-in closet. As Carl walked into the room, Tom rose from where he had been sitting and mechanically followed him. Tom noticed immediately upon entering that sound was that the sound was deadened. The layout was quite simple. Along one wall, there was a desk module with a computer, a model which Tom had never seen before. In fact, it was a foreign model with unrecognizable lettering. There was also a fax machine, two telephones, and a built-in file cabinet. Tom noticed that one of the phones had no push buttons and reasoned that it must be for incoming calls only. Are we in some kind of intrigue movie, Mr. Bond? Tom spoke to break the tension he was beginning to feel. You have no idea, was the response from Carl as he typed a series of passwords into the computer after it sprang to life with a power supplied by a remote switch concealed to the left of the upper cabinet. I'd never try any of this if I were you, he stated flatly. As he continued typing, after the typing stopped, he motioned Tom to come next to him. Take a look, he said. As Tom moved to his right, much to his surprise, Tom saw his picture on the computer screen with his name and all of his vital statistics next to it. As Carl advanced the information, Tom was astounded to see everything about himself. From the time he was born to the very present, each organization he had belonged to, each time he left the country, where he went, even the exact amount he had in his bank account, at the present time, were displayed. As Carl scrolled down the page, Tom saw designations in a rating system of some sort. He was about to ask what they meant when Carl interrupted his thoughts. I have access to it all, Carl said, as the screen went blank. I'm going to pause us in this chapter. It's actually a very long chapter, and I don't want to belabor this. I know it's quite exciting. I don't know how well I can continue to read for you, though, for the extent of the rest of this chapter. So I thought that was a great place to bring it to a stop. What an intriguing thought. What a, what a setup. As, as God is turning the hearts of these people because of the encounter that they've had with him in such a personal way. Think about that for just a moment. The, the, the fact that they've just spent intimate time with the Holy Spirit, and it's changing them. Tom's been in that presence more than one time now, but, but his boss has just experienced this for the first time. He's experiencing the power of God. He's experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's changing him. 
It's turning him into a man of God that God created from the very beginnings of time. And, and that's what he wants to do with us. There's so much packed into this uh, this little bit of a chapter uh, that certain things that were, were said even early on as we begin to read uh, the, the preparation of the bride to return, the, the moments, the, the, there's so much going on here. The, the fact that he's talking about, again, this book was written in late 1997, okay? Uh, the earth, in response to the Lord's command, groaned and strained as if in childbirth, as a warning to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. Natural disasters such as unparalleled storms, earthquakes, and flooding would leave many helpless and without hope. Man-made disasters such as fires, riots, rampant terrorism, and unbridled crime made citizens demand something to be done for the safety of the majority. Look at what's happening. The the fact that that those who respond to the call of holiness and the full submission, they're going to walk in an intimate fellowship with their Savior. Instead of turning to God, our world is turning their backs on Him even the more. And they're hardening their hearts. Because their thought pattern, or their process is, is all mixed up. It's all wrong. The enemy has got them completely deceived. The next part of this chapter is going to unveil some things that are really powerful. I hope I have you on the edge of your seat. I am. I, and, I, and I've read this book before, but it's been so long. And, and now I see it in such a unique new way. It, it's, it's, it's pertinent to right here. And right now, and I do believe that God is about to do something extremely huge, extremely big, and I believe we're going to be a witness to that. I've seen so many people talking about this coming year, uh, from from words of urgency to boldness to prepare yourself to do what God has called you. So much is happening very, very quickly, and prophecy is being fulfilled at a, at a rampant rate right now. Be prepared. Get your heart right with God seek him with everything else. Yes, I understand we're just reading a fictional book, but look at how it lines up scripturally. I believe that God is using this, that he used my my friend back in the 90s to write this for such a time as right now, how pertinent it is to right now. Stay tuned. There's more. Thank you so much for following along on our podcast, supporting Rhonda and I financially, praying with us, walking with us on this journey. All of our giving links are on our website, www.livingloudoutdoors.com, pinned right at the top of our Facebook page. Uh, Support us if you can. Uh, We would greatly appreciate that. I know that God will take care of you. He'll take care of us. Uh, When you plant seed in, in fertile ground, it will spring forth life. Amen. Please continue to pray with us, pray for us, as we continue this journey of seeking out that which is lost so that it may be found. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.